as uh, Lynn was leading us, I couldn't help of thinking of Isaiah as we were singing Holy, 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 of course. And I hope that we are in love with holiness, with the holiness of God. Um, and I certainly can't wait to see God in his holiness and uh, experience that. I can't wait to experience that holiness across the globe as he transforms and brings heaven and earth together in its fullness. That'll be a wonderful day. And I do, I, uh, I, well, I, I thank you for also leading us in singing about uh, the presence of God being with us. Because I think one of the great parts of gathering together as the church, and as you said corporately, as we gather together, is we get to experience God's presence in each other. And I, I was just, as we were doing that, I was thinking of Corinthians there as we are reflecting the glory of God, right? And a part of that greatness that we get to see is we're all not wearing masks, right? <laughs> we get to see the glory of God in each other's faces, and that's a wonderful thing. I about came unglued the other day. I was in the grocery store, and 99.5% of people in there were wearing masks. I was the only one without. And I, I almost shouted audibly for everyone to smile because I couldn't see. There was people there, and I realized later that I knew, and I didn't recognize them. And I was so frustrated that I just wanted to yell smile, but I just walked out. And I, I probably should have, but I didn't. But I didn't want to cause a scene for the owner or the workers because I was disobeying so anyway the mandates at B so anyway enough of that turn to Romans chapter 2 if you would please we're going to continue our time in Romans this is our fifth sermon in Romans and we are going to try to conclude chapter 2 this morning and as you're turning there a couple questions can you keep a secret I heard some not really is there someone that's pretty true. I'd have to say that's probably my answer. Not really. You know, I usually try to find somebody to tell, right? If you know some juicy bit of info, right? But have you ever had a friend so wonderful that you could tell absolutely everything to? That's pretty rare, right? Do you have secrets that you have never told anyone? I do, right? There's things about myself that I've never told a soul, right? Usually, it revolves around the darkness or the sin that's in there that we don't want anybody to know, right? That's usually where the things that we never say to, anyone's else, to anyone else. Have you ever stopped long enough, and this is a hard thing to do, stopped long enough to really just meditate on how deep your sin goes into your soul? That's a scary thought. We don't like to, we don't like to stay there very long because we just want to run away from that and we'd rather dwell on good things, right? But... Have you ever caught yourself trying to deceive yourself, right? Yeah. How many times do you talk to yourself, try to talk yourself into something that you know is wrong, right? Or say, it's not that bad. And what do you do at that point? When you're trying to deceive yourself, and Jesus talks about self-deception a lot, but when you're trying to deceive yourself, do you stop, listen, and then turn away? Or do you just talk louder and more, right? I mean... That's that wrestling we all do within our hearts and minds, right? And it's tough, tough battles that we're in. But in this passage, we're going to see and understand that we have a Father in Heaven that sees and knows every one of your secrets. Everything to the depth. And in fact, 
he knows your secrets better than you do. Because when we deceive ourselves, he still sees clearly. That's a very comforting thought and a very scary thought at the exact same time, right? I, I'm thankful for Jesus Christ who forgives us of all of that crud. And then I also don't want God to see all of that crud, right? It's just like this double-edged deal that goes on in our wrestling. But I want to be reminded that as we're beginning the first three chapters or so of Romans, that Paul is beginning an argument. He is going to show us the grace of God in Jesus Christ. He's going to explain to us the greatness of salvation and, and the cross and the gospel. And to do that, he has to lay a heavy foundation of our sin and lay everybody flat so that we appreciate the beauty of the good news, right? To bring us to the beauty of the cross for us to appreciate that. But that is where we are. We are right in the middle of being laid flat with our sin. But one of the things before we jump in here and read is that we are so immersed, I mean like a couple generations now immersed in a therapy culture that we can't hardly see past our positive images of ourself to see our, the reality of our sin and our standing before God. We have been so trained to think highly of ourselves we can't think about our sin. And I heard a study, and, and um, at this particular point here, I'm not picking on Catholics, okay? So don't hear me say that, because this is the same is true in the evangelical world, but fewer and fewer people go to confession. But everybody goes to communion. That was a Catholic study by a Catholic. Now, I would say the same is probably true in our arena as well, in the heart how many of us spend quality time with the Lord confessing our sin versus how much time do we spend on Jesus loves me and, and uh, our fellowship with him? How much, how, how much time do we spend saying, Father, forgive me. That was sinful. That was wrong. Thank you for Jesus Christ and renew me. How much time do we spend fighting sin, killing the self and the flesh, and, and, and trying to walk by the Spirit? Unfortunately, that seems to be in, in a trend of where we want to not talk about sin, but only about love in these days. And so Paul will not let us do that. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here, he will not let us get up from this until we see it and deal with it. As we read Romans chapter 2 here, the second half, I'm going to start in verse 11 and through verse 24. And, and I appreciate as we were singing as well, it's something I had written down. We were singing, open the eyes of my heart, right? Open my ears that I may hear. We, and I would say that's our challenge this morning. That really is our challenge as we get into what we don't sometimes like to dwell on, sin. We, the, the easy tendency this morning is to tune out about what we're doing later. The green grass, going to the lake, doing, and not think about our sin, right? That's our challenge. And I was thinking about this morning, so I was so thankful that we we're going, open my eyes that I might see, right? And I, and I think of Psalm 119. I may see wondrous things from your law. And that's what we want to see. So let's go ahead and read. Verse 11, for there is no partiality with God. 
For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a lot of themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts. Their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are excellent being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the, righteousness, the righteous requirement of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you, who, even with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision that is of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Right, some incredible truths here in chapter two, as we end. and and we started chapter two last time. And we tried to work through sixteen or so, and we didn't even really come close. And so the reason I'm, I'm backing up here is to pick up really kind of where we left off, left off in thought. But I didn't start in twelve because I wanted to catch the context there of of eleven. Of probably in the minds of the readers here is what I'm hearing is is God partial. To the Gentiles versus the Jews? Is he partial to the Jewish people? Is there a special relationship there that's not there with other people? And, and, and some of those things, does he treat them differently? Um, and, and so there's this question probably in their minds, is there partiality with God? And, and Paul says there is no partiality with God. And, and it's in, in God's mind, well, we all come from Adam and Eve, right? <laughs> so it really doesn't matter what race, nationality, color, ethnicity, or nationality you are. We're all sinners before God in need of Jesus Christ. Right? And that's a good message for today, right? In our times that we're experiencing. But there, God, and, and I'll finish with this one as well, but man looks at the outside 
but God looks where? The heart, right? You guys know it, right, from Samuel. But God looks at our hearts. He doesn't look at the outside and judge us according to our color or what race we belong to, what nation we are in, a part of. Uh, he looks at the inside. And the Jewish people are his chosen people to bring his word, his law, his savior through that people. They were uh, gifted and granted so much grace in, in so many ways to show God to the world. Massive privilege, right? But did they get a free ticket into heaven? Because they're of that race. No, absolutely not. But in their mind, so many of them, and you see this in Jesus' life as he just fought with the religious folks, they were banking on their who they were to make them in their right standing with God. And, 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 and Paul here, as a Jewish person, is saying, no. You do not stand on those things. We only stand in Christ. And he's going to get to that. But right here, he's, he, he's saying God will judge each one individually. And yes, there are many judgments and decisions God makes on people groups on groupings of people and according to how they are living in response to his ways and to his word. And he will lay out uh, blessings and cursings according to how a people are doing. Okay? But here, when, it, when in terms of salvation and our judgment, we have to stand before a holy judge one day. And that is not going to be based upon our nationality but upon what we do with God, what we do with Jesus Christ, right? And we're going to get to that. And, and uh, he's very pragmatic in this section right here. But, but this is interesting because this is going to go a little bit against uh, what is being proposed in our nation these days. Um, there, there's been this push for so long that everybody has to be treated exactly the same, whether you work hard or not, whether what, everything. It's got to be treated exactly the same, no matter how you live, which is ridiculous. But God is saying here, he is going to judge each one according to the amount of light or the amount of truth that that person knows and has lived out in response to. Now, this is not going against, no, don't, don't even hear, this is not against faith and being justified by faith. We're going to get there in chapter 3. But in chapter 2, he's laying sin on and judgment on. That's, that's the focus here. But, but it, the Jewish people, God is, says, you've been granted a lot of light. You've been granted the law. You've been granted all the prophets and of all the appearances. And Jesus Christ came through you. And, and just all this knowledge of God, they are held to a different standard than someone across the globe who has never heard of God. Okay, now think in their day too, okay? So let's just try to keep this in their day in time for a second. But they are going to be judged according to the law that they break, right? They had the law, they broke it, they're judged accordingly. 
But Paul says, but don't worry about the Gentiles. The Gentiles, or, or in this mind frame, right, the goy or the nations that are out there that are without God, the Gentiles, okay, those that are without God, they're going to be judged according to what they know and the laws that by nature God has put within their heart and soul that they've broken. And, and God will do what is right. He will judge what is righteous and just, but it's going to be different, right? And, and, but we don't, it doesn't have to be the exact same for every person, but it's just and right. And that is how God is going to judge. And so, because the Jewish people here, they've, and, and I would say church people, we're really close to right in here. We look at chapter one, we look at all of those sins of the pagans, and we say yes and amen to God's judgment of those sins, right? All that, uh, when they have rejected uh, and suppressed the truth and unrighteousness, verse 18, right? They, 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 they took the creator and they rejected him and they worshiped the creation, right? They, they've exchanged the truth for a lie, right? And all this wicked homosexuality and vile exchange of, of gross sins and and. The Jewish people said, yes, God, judge them. And they're right in saying that. But he's going to come on them and say, okay, don't you be critical in judging them according to a different standard, a double standard, when you're not judging yourself, when you're not looking inward here. Right? He says, because you claim all this form of knowledge and godliness, but you're still, you are still dishonoring God, he says in verse 23. Because you are breaking the law in, in so many ways. You're just living religiously. You're breaking the law. You're still guilty too. And so he is laying the guilt on regardless of, of nationality, ethnicity. God has written his law on our hearts and we see that all around. And so we are all guilty. And, and so here's the thing he is saying to the Jewish people, and, and the church is really close here too, is here's the temptation for us and for the Jewish people here. The temptation is to judge ourselves according to what? Our own standard, not God's standard. We want to contrive a standard in here that says, look at me go. I'm doing great. Rather than to be laid flat by the word of God, right? We, we want to say, I'm doing really good. I gave a guy five bucks on the side of the road the other day, and I don't live like those socialist rioters out there. I am doing good. I am godly. God is my friend, right? And to, and to look at our good works and then say, God must be pleased with me, right? That, that's what we're, our temptation is to do rather than to say, no, we're guilty. We're guilty. And we're deserving of punishment. And it's only by the grace of God through faith in Christ that we can stand. Right? And, and so there's a temptation to become religious and judgmental as the first part of the chapter talked about. So really the, uh, one of the main points here is, is how are we viewing The judgment of God versus uh, our where is our righteous standing? 
is the judgment of God based upon uh, the fact that I was raised in a Christian family? Or is the judgment of God based upon holiness and righteousness and my faith in him? What, where is that coming into play? And, and the temptation, and I see it in my own life. I see the temptation to be haughty and prideful and think I'm doing really good. Right? That, that temptation is there. And, and we go back to Luke 18. Turn back to Luke 18 for a moment. And this parable you guys know well, but it, it's helpful to just drive it home all the time to make sure I'm where Christ wants me to be. And, and as Lynn prayed, in humility, we're coming to him in humility. I, I pray that's where we are as we walk out our faith in, in humility and as we go before the Lord in prayer. Because in verse 9 of chapter 18, he spoke this parable to some who trusted, and, and hear this little description here that Luke gives us, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Right? Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself. And this is the bad prayer, right? Don't pray this way. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Right? We laugh, but we can go there, right? I, pray, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That is an incredible truth that we need to just live and meditate on. Right? That's a passage that needs to be burned into our minds. If we're going to hear and see, we want to understand, man, help me to not dwell in my prayers on God. Thank you that I'm so good. Right? God, just... Like, as we're singing, holy, 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 I just say, Lord, when I get to heaven, I'm probably going to be like Isaiah, on my face, not able to look at that holiness. Because I'm not even close to being there, right? And, and, and I'm thankful that he has given us his son, Jesus Christ. That, and and I, I might be wrong in this. Um, I, I think I'm right in scripture here. Correct me if I'm wrong, if you know another scripture, but I feel like in heaven, Jesus is going to be the one we can look on and embrace and walk with and touch, just like the disciples, because he is God in flesh, even in heaven. But even the angels who have no sin in heaven are shielding themselves from the glory of the Father. And they're not even, they might be looking in that direction, but their heads and eyes are focused down. I, I don't know that we can look at the Father and live, right? I don't, I don't know that we'll ever, I think we'll see this massive radiance and absolute holiness and out of awe and respect and fear, we will not look directly upon him. I could be wrong, but I think that's good scripture, I think. But I'll, I'll leave that to the Lord. Back to Romans 2. There's a question that we need to answer here because sometimes we can uh, we could get confused in this section if we're not careful. Uh, 
Verse 12, for as many have sinned without the law will also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. And here we go, verse 13, for not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. All right? We have to be careful with that verse. For the, for the doers of the law will be justified. Okay? Now, this does not undo, we know, chapter 3 and the rest of Romans, that we're justified by faith and faith alone. Our works do not, don't justify anybody. Right? Forensically. Right? Like, judiciously before the judge. We are not justified because we gave the homeless guy a drink. Right? It's not how we're justified. But... But he says here, the doers of the law will be justified. So, so what do we do with that? The, remember this context here. I would say this is a lot like James chapter 1. Right? This is an example of the characterization of your life. Those who are living their faith out, it will be shown in their works. Right? In how they live, we'll see the genuineness of their faith. I think that's where he's at. But... The doers of the law will be justified. The, the, um, it would be a contradiction if, if Paul here was saying that your works make you right with the holy God and nullify the cross of Jesus Christ and everything Jesus did, right? That would be a contradiction. But, but I believe it's more along the lines of James chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians seven nineteen, where what's important is keeping the commandments, Right? Paul says, and and, in Galatians 5, 6, Paul also says, uh, what's important is faith working through love. This is is faith being worked out. And and turn to 1 John chapter 2 for a moment. In 1 John chapter 2, we have a very practical outworking of our faith all throughout this little book. And um, in chapter uh, 2, verse 3 and following, John says, now, by this we know that we know him. Right? Here's the proof in the pudding. Right? This is, this is, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whatever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he Walked. Turn over to chapter 5. Right from the very beginning of chapter 5. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him also begot, um, who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we, are, that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith he who who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that jesus is the son of god john so intertwines it is just like this rope that is weaved together that cannot be separated with love and works or faith and works excuse me right that that love that living out of the faith that that Faith is what overcomes in Christ, and, and the proof is, is how we love one another, and it, that is not separated from our love of God. Right? That just, it just all is meshed together in John's mind, and it should be in ours as well. Right? That, that is the proof. We are justified 
uh, made right in Christ's righteousness by, by faith in Jesus, and our works demonstrate the reality of it. That's just plain and simple. That's the, 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 the gospel there. And so when, when, when Paul here is saying here, but the doers of the law will be justified, I think he's saying, you know, he's addressing the Jewish people here. He's saying, you know what? You claim to be right with God because you have the law and you have the teachers and you know it all and you memorize it all and you paste it on your head and you put it on your doorpost and you're all about knowing what's right. But he's saying you're not doing it. You're still a, as we finish this section, you're still a breaker of the law, right? You've got to be a doer of the law. And he's not saying you have to be a perfect doer to earn your way. He's saying the characterization of your life is you've got to be a doer, not just a head knower. That's what he's getting at. And, and that's why he's going to pound away the circumcision thing and pound away this form of knowledge thing here in these next few verses. So and I think the sum up is really... Uh, at the very end of chapter 2, but also in verse 23 for the Jewish people, which we can very well apply to us church people. Verse 23 is a good sum. You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through your breaking of the law? And he gave a whole bunch of examples before that, but he's saying, you know what? He's saying you're all breakers of the law. You're all liars. You're all thieves. You're all adulterers. You're all robbers. You're, You're doing all these things. You don't think that you are, maybe because you're looking at someone who's worse than you, but he says you're still breaking it before God. Before God, you, you, all of us have not lived ultimately and thought ultimately of God, right? Christ, we, we sing God is our all in all, but we've all failed to live up to being Christ, being our all in all, right? Um, if, if anything else has satisfied us apart from God, apart from God, we have failed, right? We've sinned. We've dishonored him anytime he's not our first and last, our beginning and our end, right? When anytime that we have substituted the creation for the creator and have not thanked him for all that he has granted us. We dishonor, we steal, we commit adultery against God. We bl- and, the, and the nations are blaspheme the name of God because of us. It's true. It's sad, but it's true. But there's hope, right? There's hope that Jesus Christ makes us beautifully holy through faith in him, right? So this is not all the end. But, but here's something that might be a good takeaway from that is when we when I look around and I, I see if you've been in church long enough, you know that we've given a black eye to Jesus too many times in how we live together or fail to live together, right? And, and, and it's given reason for the world to laugh and point fingers. But you hear it all the time when the world calls all those people to gather in church a bunch of hypocrites. Thank you for filling in the blank there, right? What do we say in response to that? Come join us, Come join us right? That's what we say, right? Come join us, right? But we say that, but, but here's what we need to, the problem is, the reason they say that, I think, is they, they look at church folks and they think, wrongly, 
that we are putting our trust in our own righteousness, our good deeds to get there. Because that's what they think, right? So they, when they put that on us, they see us as hypocrites. We need to do a better job of getting the truth across to the world that says, we're a bunch of sinners here, that's why we're here. Come join us. We're made right because of the work that somebody else did for us, the Son of God. We need to get that message across that we are, we're here celebrating that we're forgiven rather than that we're a bunch of goody-two-shoes, right? That, that's the message that we need to correct out there, that we are a bunch of sinners, and you can come and be forgiven. But when they think that we're standing on our own righteousness, of course we're hypocrites. Of course, right? And I could say I'm the chief of it if I'm standing on my own righteousness, right? But thankfully, we are not Okay, onto this circumcision thing here. Paul really lays this really heavy. And uh, because this is continued to think about the Jewish people, they were standing on it, right? They're standing on God gave them this law. This is the sign for them, the outward sign for the people that they belong to God, that they've been separated from the rest of the world. Pretty easy to get pretty arrogant with that, right? We are different than you guys. God gave us a sign. We belong to him. Pretty easy to get that wrong in saying God gave you a sign to cut off the filth and live in holiness to him. Maybe we should live in holiness toward him and trust him for our sin. Right? That's the point. They didn't get it. But they're trusting in that, and, and God is saying, you know what? That is not profitable. If you trust in an outward sign, you are as lost as can be. You're under the judgment of God. You're heaping up wrath for yourself, as we saw in chapter 1. Uh, well, and in the chapter, beginning of chapter 2, but, but he's, he's saying the guy that's out there that's not circumcised, if he's a doer and living and trusting God for his soul and his forgiveness, then he has got the true circumcision of the heart. And, and they, they didn't get it that it's supposed to be an outward sign of an inward work. Right? And Jeremiah and Isaiah and, and Ezekiel, and whenever they spoke about the new birth, when they spoke about what God's work that takes place on the inside, that God is going to put his word on the inside, then they, they missed it. They missed all of that, and they thought it was an outward thing. But we need to be careful because where can we make that same mistake? Where can we wrongly put our trust what outward sign can we put our faith in? We can put our faith in church attendance. We can put our faith in the fact that I was dunked under the water, so I'm going to heaven, right? That's an outward sign for us of an inward work, right? There, there's an, a physical thing we do religiously that Christ has told us to do, commanded us to do, that we should be one of our first acts of obedience in our Christian life, and if you haven't been baptized, you should be baptized, right? You should obey God and be baptized and show the world that we agree with Christ's death. We agree with new life. We're putting our sin to death. We want to live holy. We want to come up and live new, right? But there are plenty of people that are baptized that are not born again. That they are not belonging to Jesus Christ. We cannot put our trust in something we do outwardly. And, and that's where we need to be careful because... Paul is saying here, it is in the heart. This circumcision is of the heart, verse 29 says, 
It's in the spirit, verse 29 says. It's not the letter of the law. It is when we are seeking praise, not from men, but from God. And I appreciate that he adds that bit at the end here because we need to seek our praise from God, not just pat ourselves on the back. You're doing a great job. Good job for your attendance here in church. You know you're doing such a righteous job, right? We don't need to be that way. We need to be, uh, praise God for Jesus Christ and what he's done for us, right? Um, to, uh, totally unnamed, but th- there was, our family attended a congregation that were wonderfully friendly, incredibly friendly. And the, the time up front at the beginning of pat ourselves on the back Good job, thank you. Good job for this. Good job. Oh, let's give everybody praise and accolades. Lasted like a half an hour. I am not joking. Good job, Steve. You're doing so great. And and it got to be repulsive. It got to be like I got a pit in my stomach because all they did a half an hour, and the sermon was like 15 minutes. I'm like, we spent more time praising each other than we did praising God. And I was like, there's a problem here, and we stopped going. And I love those people. There, there's many brothers and sisters in the Lord at that place, but. We couldn't keep going there. I was just like, Lord, there's something wrong here. And I wanted to then stand up and say, wait a second. Can we change some things? And I thought about that this morning. I was like, you know, I should have done that too. I probably should have, in a very respectful way, said, let's stop praising ourselves and start praising God. He's the one that's holy. He's the one that's worthy of our praise. I don't want to add a boy. Good job to make my head puff up and to swell my arrogance and pride and to cause me to sin more. I want us to be holy before God and say, God, you look at the inward. I spend too much time looking at the outside. God, you see my secrets. You see my sin. I can't put my trust in anything but your son to forgive me and to make me holy. God is doing that work. He's not going to finish. The, he's not going to stop. He's not going to not finish that work. He's going to finish that work. He's going to complete it, right? We read about that in Philippians. And, and we pray, God, keep on that work, right? Keep me attached into the vine where the juices keep flowing, right? Where the spirit of God keeps working in us, causing the fruit to come out of our lives, right? Let's... Let's pray with that. Father, we thank you for your word in Romans chapter 2. Father, we understand it is a very hard section that, that hits us hard. It hits us with the darkness of the inside that we don't like to look at. Father, but we know we need it. Father, we know we need to be hit with uh, the gravity of uh, the sin that is in us, uh, showing us just your absolute holiness and the beauty of your holiness. And Father, we, we long to um, have you rid us of the sin that remains. Uh, we want to be clothed fully in the righteousness of Christ, uh, positionally, obviously, but also in reality. Father, we want to be just clothed in absolute beauty, and we can't wait for that day for it to be taken away from us, the sin, and just walk in, in purity the way that we'll be robed in heaven. Father, I just, I pray that we'd be able to demonstrate that to this world, that we would be um, understood to be doers 
of the word, that we would be justified ones, that we would give you praise and thanks for our standing in Christ. Father, keep us from self-deception. Father, when we speak lies to ourselves and when we hear lies from Satan and the world, Father, I pray that the truth would overtake those places in our hearts and minds, that, that you would cause your scripture to be so deeply rooted that we would smell out and detect uh, the filth even when we're saying it to ourselves. Uh, Father, I just I pray that you would uh, speak loud and clear through your Holy Spirit into our hearts and minds. And Father, I, I pray that we would be able to give the truth of the gospel to those around us as they so greatly need it all the time, but especially now. Father, I ask that we would be able to grant peace and grace to those that are full of fear. And um, Father, I just pray that you would do that through each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.